Well, Deborah Enix Ross and Terry Amsler, welcome to Resolutions. Great to have you both. Thank you. Thank you. I wanted to uh, start with uh, President Enix Ross and just understand kind of how this ABA Cornerstones of Democracy Commission came about in the first place. Thank you. Uh, I love talking about this commission uh, because it's really very near and dear to my heart. And it really started when I was thinking about the wonderful opportunity of running for ABA president at the same time, a number of my non-lawyer friends were asking me questions about uh, essentially the presidential elections and the fallout from January 6th and things even leading up to it. And what I realized is what they were asking me about are questions related to the rule of law and related to understanding civics and understanding what the three branches of government are and what they're meant to do and what they're not meant to do. Uh, and so out of that came the idea of what I call the cornerstones of democracy, the three C's, civics, civility, and collaboration. I think civics and civility, we can explore a bit more to understand what that means, but the collaboration portion of the C's is really important because although lawyers should be leading in this area, it's not our exclusive purview. And we in fact need, we need all professions, doctors and, and teachers, faith leaders, uh, anyone that politicians, we all need to come together to promote the three C's in order to have the fourth C, which is to restore confidence in our democratic small d, democratic institutions. So that's how this idea came about. Before I turn to Terry, who of course is, is actively involved, I, I guess I wanna make sure I understand how this fits within the broader American Bar Association rather than just within a particular section. Why, why have it apply across all of the different sections and, and groups within ABA? Because it literally, and that's a great question, because I know sometimes if you're not an ABA insider, it's like, where does this live? It's its actual own commission. Uh, and it's because it cuts across everything that we do. So I've just been engaged in uh, conversations with sections, divisions, and forum chairs, and literally every single one of them has taken up the challenge to take on civics and civility alongside of the work that they're doing. Uh, and that has been really gratifying. So it's a standalone commission uh, and, and it is meant to outlive my one year presidency because it is a, a, an issue that is, I would argue, the issue of the day for us. If we don't get this right, then our rule of law and our democracy is in jeopardy. So I'd love for both of you to kind of help unpack the other two C's as the president uh, put it just there, the, the, starting with civility. And one of the reasons I'm interested in that is on the one hand, I think it's relatively self-evident how uh, much of a decline we may have seen in civility, at least in our in some of our public discourse. On the other hand, I can sort of hear certain kinds of voices in my ear, whether they be attorneys who are members of ABA or perhaps advocates for a particular cause saying, as a matter of fact, I don't I don't want to be 
more civil. I'm very concerned about the direction things are going in. And so my goal is is almost the exact opposite. So I guess I'm curious, first of all, how you interpret civility in this context, and then separately, how you answer those who say that actually more civility isn't necessarily a good thing. For me, and I'll speak for myself, civility is, to unpack it a bit, has a lot to do with civil public discourse, but it's equitable and ethical civil public discourse. So there are rules and guidelines for all such. If you suggest civility is we should all be happy, we should not be angry, and we should not raise our voices loudly when we think our self-interest is significantly at stake, I think that'd be a too narrow way to think about civility, speaking for myself. Now, again, I can't speak for all F definitions of civility everywhere, but I think there's an ethical realm to what we're doing. And I will say just briefly, this builds on why I'm so happy for the commission and its able leadership. I should recognize Justice Adrian Nelson and our chair and vice chair, Bill Weisenberg. But this builds on Resolution 108, which was a civil public discourse resolution out of 2011 of the ABA. And it operationalized it as some very useful, practical, integrative ways, which I'm particularly happy. So I've, I've talked too long. No, not, not at all. And, and thank you for calling out our fantastic uh, chairs of, of the commission because they really are uh, wonderfully dedicated to uh, and have been working in this area for a long time. So it was, it was actually an easy lift for me when I called uh, Justice Nelson and Bill Weisenberg and said, would you do this? I didn't have to twist any arms or anything. But coming back to the, because that wouldn't have been very civil in the first place, but coming back to the question of civility, I always say to people, it does not mean that you're passive. And it does not mean that you, um, adopt someone else's thought to be nice. No, what it means is you can still be a passionate advocate. And I would argue if you embrace civility, you, you will be able to be a better passionate advocate because people will actually listen to you. We all know people who pound the table and act in a manner that really is a turnoff. And ultimately you have to decide what is important. Do you want to be heard? And if you want to be heard and you, you have to be persuasive and passionate and we have the tools to, to have these difficult conversations but to do it in a way that's effective. Uh, and I think in the end, that's what we're trying to get to. And I know that there are people that we may say, I don't want to be civil towards them because they're acting in a way that uh, it, it, you know is the is the polar opposite. Um, and and not to quote Michelle Obama, they go low, we go high. But it's really it, it's how effective do you want to be, and what are the tools that you can use to be effective in getting your message across. So the person hearing this may be a member of the dispute resolution section, and so they take a particular lens on how disputes should be resolved. But as we mentioned, this is covering the entire American Bar Association, including the section that deals with what I'll characterize as adversarial, either litigious or prosecutorial, other kinds of, of engagement. How do you align some of what you're trying to achieve here with the work that a lot of ABA members do in that particular space? I'll say quickly, I think 
if we're talking about recognizing that I'm an associate member of the bar, I'm not an attorney myself. I came out of the community mediation world back in the day. And uh, but so there are many different kinds of members of the bar, even those that are that are attorneys on vacation. Lawyers have many roles, including public roles in the community, in their, you know, in their in their workplace, <laughs> in their profession. So these 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 skills of civility or civil public discourse and collaboration and civics, especially going back to what Deborah said earlier about if I'm not quoting you exactly now, so I remember, but it's not the ABA's the only people doing this. But I think in one of your articles I saw the word you talked about the convening role that the yeah. ABA well, this is another way that lawyers, whatever their day job, their their, their professional work may be in a certain place and time. This goes back to the call to action by one of resolution 108 as lawyers, as leaders, not the only leaders, <laughs> but as leaders and how leaders as conveners, facilitators, you know, can have a role. And of course, we'll go to the rule of law and good law to support these kinds of things. That's another story. Very well, very well said. And we get to the last C before I delve into some of the work that the commission is doing, being civics. And I'm sure there are some people who hear that word and think of a high school elective or maybe a required course. Uh, before I got into some of this work, I certainly would have. So maybe, President Enix Ross, you can kind of share your vision for uh, what civics means in the context of the commission here. Yeah. So, I mean, part of it is civics education. And, and that happens for a number of us that started in school and for other students now, they're not getting civics education. Um, but it's not just for students. I mean, when you, when you talk about civics and, and, and what that means, it's really, it's, it's helping to provide uh, what I would say are critical thinking and fact-based debate. Uh, because these are core elements of a successful democracy. And in, it will teach us, all of us, at whatever stage we are in our lives, how to challenge misinformation and disinf disinformation, right? And gives us a way to, to engage effectively and constructively with opposing viewpoints. I mean, that is what we hope to come out of civics education. So whether it is uh, promoting that curriculum in school, or whether it is as adults, whether we're in our community boards or or our whatever, wherever we're involved, we can all refocus on civic and it's civic. It's also civic engagement, and when you have that, that is that is the way that you can protect a democracy. Could I add something? If you of course. add something to that, because I happen to be reading the, the Center for Strategic International Studies with the Annenberg Public Policy Center. I don't have this. I don't have this. Remember, I happen to be reading it, so I grabbed it. It's, it has an, a, a publication called Civics for Adults, and it says the first sentence, this guy is focused on fostering greater understanding among adults of the nuts and bolts of our democratic republic and how individuals can and must hold institutions accountable and move us toward a more perfect union. This is all directly associated and consistent, with, I think, with the cornerstone's interest. I will say also, and Deborah has mentioned somewhere else, it's a article, the importance of the young lawyers and all this. So I go back to even high school students also in this work. There's a tremendous opportunity in the work of cornerstones, not now, I mean, over time, particularly as those forward 
you know, some of the grants that maybe received or, you know, are implemented and there's learnings to really expand this and the role of attorneys in helping to support some of this civics work. I know that uh, President Enix Ross and I share uh, some connection to journalism. I read that uh, you were uh, a student of broadcast journalism at one time. And so I hope you'll indulge me as I think about what might the headline be if this initiative is a success to, to, to mean if I turn on NPR, if I open the New York Times and they are reporting on the work of this body and it has been successful, what might the achievement be that's touted either in that top of the hour story or headline on the front page, do you think? Well, because we both have that journalism background, you know it has to have a sensational headline. So, uh, and given given where we are today, I think it would be something like civic engagement, civics and civility goes viral. And, and what it would, what it would look like is that you would be, you would see people across the spectrum, you know, it's, it would be almost like TikTok where it would be, show me that you're civil without saying I'm civil. And then you'd have uh, young people and old people and everyone is doing something to demonstrate that they understand what civics and civility looks like and, and what, it, what it means to them. So that's, to me, that would be the ultimate success that we would have people engaged in these conversations, showing why it's important and having fun doing that. Just to be clear, when you say viral, none of us need a vaccination. Uh, no, to... this is the one you don't want a vaccination. Because <laughs> we're getting a lot of guidance on vaccination. I just want to make sure yes. <laughs> And now a word from our partners. Next Level Mediation Software is a mediator's best tool for advancing their online dispute resolution practice. It takes into account the psychological attitudes of the disputing parties and helps mediators find the key priorities to negotiate. Based on decision science and an easy-to-use interface, the Next Level Mediation Platform can handle the most complex disputes. Register today at nextlevelmediation.com for your complimentary 30-day trial of the subscription service and enter the code A, B, A, discount, 20 for a 20% discount. Terry mentioned the fairly lengthy history I think that ABA has on this topic dating back more than a decade, but I'm also just thinking about what appeared to me as an observer to be an explosion of of different groups that are taking some sort of a, a whack at this, for lack of a better term. So I think it'd be helpful to me to just understand how you think the ABA's work on this topic distinguishes itself from the efforts of a lot of other organizations who, you know, try to bring people together and have dialogue across difference and get people involved in civic life, but in meaningful and, and civil ways. You know, where where can this initiative fit into that ecosystem, do you think? Yeah, so I think our sweet spot is the is that third C, the collaboration, and, and what, as Terry alluded to, the convening power of the ABA, right? Because in, on the one hand, as legal professionals, we certainly know uh, whether it's because we have ethical obligations, but we know how to demonstrate civility. We know how to work with people with whom we may be adversaries today and tomorrow we might be on the same T. 
team. So we know how to do that. Uh, and I think, you know, the ABA, has, I know that the ABA has still the prestige and the cachet that having that convening power and adding to what others are already doing is really important. And, and what I have found is that a number of organizations are specifically focused, uh, whether it's to youth or whether it's to teachers, but what we're trying to do uh, is, is be broader in our, our reach and in our mandate. And so I think that's where we have a sweet spot. And, where, and if you look at who our members are and where they are, We have the ability to reach not only across the United States, but we have the ability to reach internationally. And one of the other ways that I see the breadth of this is through the conversation guides, which uh, are already, as I could see online, and they're, they're, they apply to a number of different contexts. Can you articulate some of how those came about and what you're hoping to achieve with the guides? So a lot of those guides came about just the way you would hope through collaboration looking at what are some of the best practices that already exist. And some of the guides are very specific, whether it's for young people or whether it is uh, on, dif on difficult topics. But the commission corners, the website is meant to collect the information so that people don't have to reinvent the wheel and see what works for them. And so that to me is one of the upsides, again, of the convening power of the ABA to have all of that information in one place, working, we go out and find that and, and put it on our website so that you don't have to. On the other hand, for those of you who have programs and have guides and have information, we're soliciting that so that we can feature your information and others can have access to it as well. And uh, do you know yet of ways in which the guides are being utilized, sort of success stories or cool ways in which we're seeing this work spread through the guides? Um, I know that there are uh, some examples which I'm going to preview at the mid-year meeting, so I'm not going to say now. So I would encourage you to come to the mid-year meeting in New Orleans. Listen, I'm the ABA president. I have to do a shameless plug for the mid-year meeting. But, but that is one of the things that I want to do and building up is to do, a, you know, what the kids say, a shout out to those entities that are already uh, 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 doing great work and for those that are thinking about it. I, I hope adults are allowed to do shout outs as well. You mentioned the kids. Um, <laughs> Maybe but, the kids um, don't even call it shout outs anymore. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think one thing I'd like to have you give the listener in our in our uh, remaining time is a sense for um, not just how they can plug into the initiative, but also just on a day-to-day -day basis, and maybe Terry wants to take the first stab at this, on a day-to-day -day basis when a member of our organization encounters incivility, or perhaps they encounter someone who is um, disconnected in some way from the kind of civic life that we want to encourage, what should they do? You know, what should they, how should they mitigate the incivility they might see, or how should they encourage greater connection to civic life wherever they are, do you think? Well, again, I'll give you my two cents. I think be an ally for civility, I suppose. That doesn't mean I would just 
Deborah was saying earlier, it doesn't mean everybody's supposed to not <laughs> speak honestly and authentically and look for an opportunity to do that. That's different. But being a, an informed ally of stability means you might call and provide information. Or if you're skilled and feel comfortable, facilitate in some cases, or seek resources, support for those. And this can be a body of elected officials, a community club. It can, you know, isn't it in less than civil discourse happens only here or there? You can find it pretty readily, including in classrooms, including professional body. You know, it's not. So I think I, I like the idea of being an ally, an informed ally, not to pounce with one's own opinion. <laughs> and why tells one why they're wrong or mistaken or why they should be more informed and smarter. But do you hear this? There are tools like all mediators would know to reflect and to help people and hear what's being said. And the tools of the dispute resolution world seem particularly relevant to this work. Yeah, I, I think that is a, very well said. Just, I, I endorse that wholeheartedly. And I would add as someone who's also day job is in dispute resolution, I think we are uniquely poised to be able to model the kind of civility that we'd like to see. And, you know, I will say for myself that because I'm focused in this area, it has had the, the benefit for me of, of giving me an extra time to reflect and to, to not be so uh, quick in my reactions because I don't want it to be do as I say and not as I do. Uh, and look, I'm a native New Yorker, which means I, I sometimes can be abrupt and I can sometimes uh, be forceful. And I've had to, even in my own interactions, think about what is the impact of what I say and how I say it. Um, and I think we can all benefit from that. Um, and when we do that, we can then demonstrate, but with our skill sets, uh, I remember uh, listening to, uh, I think it was Professor Manukin, who has this, the, 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 his mediation technique is everybody's in the room. There's no, there's no breakouts and we're kind of looping and reflecting and uh, telling people, giving, giving them back what they've said, which requires you to listen. And it also requires you to be able to synthesize their points of view, but not necessarily adopting it. And to, that's, that is a, a really valuable skill. And I think if we all did that, uh, we will go a long way in promoting the civility that I, I know we all want to see. Well, as the husband of both a New Yorker and a University of Miami graduate, I appreciate the uh, the vote of support you gave there uh, to this cause for those folks. But Deborah Enix Ross, Terry Emsler, thank you both so much for joining us on Resolutions. Appreciate it. My thank pleasure. You. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Resolutions, a podcast about dispute resolution and prevention. If you enjoyed the episode and you'd like to help support our podcast, please share it with others, subscribe, or leave a rating and review. To stay up to date with all the latest info on dispute resolution, follow the ABA section of Dispute Resolution on LinkedIn and Twitter. Or for more information on other ABA dispute resolution programs and publications, including upcoming events, visit www.americanbar.org forward slash dispute. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.